This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Phoenix Five. We've been lucky enough to be joined by a very special guest in Mr. Ian Walker, a Spurs homegrown talent who's played over 312 times for Spurs before moving on to make over 100 appearances with Leicester and now currently in China as one of the goalkeeping coaches or specialist goalkeeping coaches, should I say. Um, I'm on my own this week due to it being a Sunday and obviously we're interviewing Ian Walker in China. It's a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning here. And what time is it there, Ian? Mid-afternoon now, late afternoon? Oh, late, yes. It's almost 6.45 in the evening, so... Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get... How are you, first of all? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, life's treating me well so far, so it's all good. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to start in China. Um, you've been in there since 2014 uh, and you stayed quite a while. You're obviously still there now, which is quite rare. A lot of people went to China in the peak of the, I think, the, the explosion of the league and the wealth coming into Chinese football. You had like players like Tevez going out there. You had to Oscar um, and then Charlie Oakway. We interviewed Gus Poyet. Quite a lot of people went out there, but they all came home within two, three years. What what made you decide to stay? Well, I mean, I, I actually came out when, um, just after Nicholas and Elka came out here. So as a 2012, um, and um, yeah, just... Well, pretty much I wasn't doing anything at the time. So I was like, well, I, I, there was an opportunity as a goalkeeping coach. And I thought, well, um, yeah, it would be a good chance to test myself and all that kind of thing. And with, uh, would it be in China too? It's kind of an unknown. So, you know, I like to travel. I like to have new experiences. So I thought, well, why not? Let's give it a go. And and um, things went well. I was at Shanghai Shenhua first. And uh, fortunately for me, their goalkeeper got into the China national uh, national squad. Um, and then after a couple of years, I moved to the team I'm at now, which was Shanghai East Asia. Then they changed their name to Shanghai SIPG, and now we're Shanghai Port. So, <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah. And again, things went well here. The goalkeeper here is, uh, you know, he's now actually the number one goalkeeper in in China, China national team. So, again, things went quite well, and um, yeah, and I've just ended up staying. So, uh, it's been a really good experience, and. Uh, something I'd recommend for all, all coaches to, to go abroad and test yourself abroad and get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And um, of course, there's, there's lots of challenges, but overall, it's been a really great experience. Brilliant. I mean, in China, when the, the explosion of the, the Chinese A-League kind of went off, goalkeepers are one of the positions. I don't, I don't think they were allowed to sign goalkeepers. It was one of the, one of the stipulations that they couldn't sign goalkeepers because they wanted to create goalkeeper because it's such a specialist position how have you seen the development in goalkeepers from when you started to now because I imagine the quality has gone up in terms of goalkeeper when you first started to now have you have you noticed that being more coaches being out and uh, more of a specialist role um well yeah of course the level's gone up um uh, I would say that the uh 
there needs to be more done as far as uh, and, I, and this is just general in Chinese football. I think is is the grassroots level being being you know set up properly and then having more coaches at that level and then uh, then bringing through a better quality of of player. But um, it's a, there's a lot of short term things going on in football in in, in China and it's uh, it's been a little bit slow. I would say could be done a little bit quicker, but. Um, but in general, yeah, the goalkeepers are, are getting better. We've had um, there's been a few different foreign coaches, uh, goalkeeper coaches, a couple of Germans, and a few other guys, the Spanish, have been here, and um, you can see that the goalkeepers are getting better. But again, I think the problem is at the grassroots level because you know we're used to we used to training outside of the ball at like five years old, you know, kicking a ball around and all that, and there isn't really that much of that here. It's not um, it's not really in their culture, so. You really have to develop it properly in the academy, and the, the academies aren't really uh, anywhere close to the level that we're used to in Europe. And I think that, you know the coaching level needs to improve as well. But you know it's a slow process, but hopefully uh, eventually they'll get there. And when they do, then uh, then we'll see a lot, a lot, a lot higher level of player. But the, the reason you know the reason I got here in the first place is because of that that you know to develop the goalkeepers. You're developing goalkeepers at 20 years old and 22 years old instead of you know they've they've had some coaching but you're always you have to change them you know you have to change a lot of their technical stuff because um they haven't been you know they haven't been coached perhaps in the right way or, or they haven't known how to do it properly and uh um and you're always tweaking it even you know even with a national team goalkeeper now i'm still trying to change a few little things on him so uh and he's 30 years old so you know it's a <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a it's a, it's a it's, it's a, a bit of a, a bit of a process, but um, you don't, you know, you don't get them at at ten years old or whatever, where you can you can get that good foundation, the good basics in um, at that age. So uh, so it's a challenge, but it but it's a good challenge. What's the language barrier like? If you, do you speak Chinese now, or is it kind of inter- through interpretation? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's mainly mainly for interpretation. Still, it's still like that. Uh, when I when I was young when I was younger, <laughs> younger <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I used to dive around still and show them what to do and stuff like that. But obviously now that's those days are gone. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean it's it's easy enough. Those we we, we communicate easily with the guys. Uh, the guys. Some guys speak English. So I, I don't speak that much Chinese, but I speak a bit of it, so we, we get through it all right. Well, let's start back at the beginning of your career. Obviously, as a goalkeeper, uh, concentration, the mental focus. How do you deal with that like, mental side of the game? When you was playing with things like fans chanting at you, I mean, you was famously confronted by a Leicester fan um, uh, during the back end of your career. How do you deal with that mental side of the game? Um, well, for me, it was like just about the preparation, really. I mean, if I felt like I had covered everything in training and I you know, had focused on it, in training from from uh, you know the previous game through the week to the next game, then then I always felt confident going into that game. If I'd done everything correctly and I'd felt like yeah I'm I'm ready for this. Um, uh, yeah, as far as the rest of it is just you know Ray Clements always told me that you know you might only get one or two. He was the one who really drilled it into me. You only have one or two things to do a game, and and you, and you need to you know you need to keep that focus. And he he was you know fantastic at it. Obviously when he when he was had his in career at Liverpool and and also with England and stuff, so I was lucky to have him as kind of like a mentor and, um, yeah, like you say, the the, the goalkeeper is uh, somebody who's expected to make the saves, but you might only have one or two things to do, um, and if your concentration, if you let your concentration wander or or you're for some reason in that game you're maybe not feeling 100% confident or, or, or something like that, then you, you can make an error and then you're the villain for the, for the whole piece for forever long it is till the next game comes along <laughs> and then you can try and rectify it. So, yeah, it's a, it, you know, of course, it's a, it's a difficult position, it's, but it's a great position because you can, you know, the, the game can be in your hands, literally. So um, you have a massive influence on, on what happens and that's something you have to try to, you, or you have to enjoy. At times it's a bit trying, but, um, like you said, that's where the mental strength comes in, and you have to be, have thick skin, be able to overcome, you know, all sorts of things that are going to be thrown your way because you know you're going to make mistakes. I mean, every goalkeeper in the world makes mistakes, so you have to learn to live with it and uh, 
and try and perform at a high level week in, week out, which is not not easy. What was the best, in terms of being in the goal, that chance you had against you? I mean, I was going from some of the forums and listening to some of the chances, some of the fans remember chanting. Is there any particular chance that stuck out to you that either affected you, like distracted you slightly, or you just thought that was, that was quite a good bit of banter, that one? Uh, well, I always had comments about my hair and all that, which are, which are the wig, you know, the old wig. <laughs> <laughs> Still got it. It's still looking good but, now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I just stuck it on just now. So. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I used to get a lot about that. You know, where's your caravan and all that kind of stuff, and shout at me to get my hair cut and la la la, which is whatever. I was like, just okay. That just became old hat after a little while. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had some good kind of one-on-one band with some some fans behind the goal every now and again, which is which is quite nice. You know, I like that. It was, it was good, and um, and uh, yeah. And then there was also some some some. I can't remember. Exactly, I can't remember exactly what game it was. Bad. Some things. My mother died in uh, during uh, the season, and um, I had some fans. Some very very few. Just a few fans that that uh, made a comment about that, which wasn't very nice. But I wanted to climb into the stands. <laughs> if I'd had had a chance, I probably would have would have gone for it. But. Um, so yeah, but in the majority of it, it's uh, it's all light-hearted stuff, and um, you know, if you just return it with a smile, I mean, there's not a lot that they they can really do. So um, <laughs> it's uh, but it's, it's you know, it's part of the game. I mean, you have to you're obviously not everybody's going to be very complimentary. So a lot of people want to try. Obviously, away fans they want to try and get under your skin. So so, um, but you know that. So you just have to uh, you know laugh it off or just ignore it. I mean, most of the time, most of the time, you're so focused on the game, you don't really hear it anyway. It's just when you know there's a breaking play or something, and you go to grab a, a water bottle or something like that, you might hear something. But I mean, unless there's a whole stand singing something about you, then you know it's it's pretty much uh, you can just just pretty much ignore it. You just you're concentrating on the game too much. Does it does it seep in a bit more if you make a mistake and then you're getting the fans on your back? <laughs> that then you you make a mistake, fans then on your back, and then you're in the goal alone it's one of the most loneliest places in the world when you're in a goal and you made a mistake and there's no one around you apart from 10 yeah. fans shouting saying pretty horrible behind you does that affect your focus a bit more because you're thinking i've made a mistake now they're on me back i can hear everyone a bit more it heightens your senses or do you just block them out and go i've got to focus straight back on the game well especially when it's your home when your own fans are doing it. <laughs> it's pretty hard to uh, ignore it um I, yeah, I mean, I had that a couple of times in my career where, you know, I want, you know, if I made a mistake or I wasn't in a particularly good run of form and I made a mistake. And then I think that's what hurt more when your home fans, uh, you know, get on your back. And that's uh, pretty tough to deal with. I found it tough to deal with anyway. I couldn't just ignore it, although I did my best to just ignore it. Um, and then it, at the time, but then obviously you have to try to prove them wrong. I mean, you have to try to get back number one, get your form back or get, get your performances back to where it's a level where, where it should be when you're playing at a, not only playing for a football club, but playing at a, one of the one of the bigger clubs. So, you know, expectation is always there. And if you're not at your standards, you you um, you have to try and fight your way back through, you know, training and getting yourself back in. And when you get an opportunity to, to prove that you're, you're worthy of your, your, your place in the team. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I've seen it happen to other players as well, and it's not nice. I don't, you know, but I, you know, I knew what it felt like, and it's 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 a pretty. I think that's the worst thing of all. Uh, your home fans, you know, booing you or, or saying things, you know, shouting at you, doing this kind of things to you, and it's um, that's the tough one. That is definitely a tough one. Away fans, you know, okay, they're gonna they're gonna give you a bit of stick, no matter what. I mean, I remember after like the Italy game when I played for England, and then the next game was a North London derby. I mean, so. You know, imagine the stick I got there, and you know it was um, it was good for me though because I knew that I, I I focused so much on on the training that week and like okay, I knew it was a huge game and I just wanted to play well, you know, and everything and and I th- we ended up drawing nil nil and I played quite well, but you know we- <laughs> it's really. Uh, it was really a, an interesting time because I, I kind of like. At the end of that game, I was like, okay, I, I, you know, mentally I was strong enough to get through it. You know, I was quite, quite happy in the end. 
that um, I came through a tough, a tough test and, 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 uh, and I survived it, you know, that was what I was doing really in that game was just to try and survive it and to, and to, and to play well and try to show people it didn't affect me. And, and you know, when it, when it was nil nil, obviously I felt like, uh, okay, now I can move on. So, so when you make a great save, knowing you've kept the, you've won three points, you, you've single-handedly won three points for your team, let's say, does that give you a massive, do you feel bigger? Do you grow? Um, I think we had a few runs at Spurs where we kept like, five or five clean sheets in a row you know in time over time you know, it was a couple few seasons or two or three seasons i think and um yeah during that time i felt like i was never going to let another goal in i mean the, you know the confidence you know talk, people talk about being in the zone i mean i think i think that's it's hard to explain but it's uh i think the confidence level is so high and the belief in yourself is so high that every every game i mean i just felt like i wasn't i wasn't gonna let one in and uh the, the when you eventually do let one in it's like oh it's like you know it's like <laughs> I didn't let one in you know it's like it's a, it's a big sh- it comes as a kind of a bit of a shock it's like oh, I let one in I can't believe it and it was like you know so th- those are like those are like the dream times to play in goal it's like you know you're just again so I say it's hard to hard to explain everyone talks about the zone I imagine that's what it felt that's that's what it was and uh you know you're making saves and you just feel you just feel, you know, on top of everything, um, and then they're the great. They're, yeah, that's they're, they're the greatest times. You, you're just hoping they're never going to stop, and you don't feel like they're going to stop. But of course, eventually they do. Um, and then, you know, like you're talking about there, on the other hand of it, on the other side of it, you know, you make a mistake, and then all of a sudden, you feel like nervous. You don't, you know, you you're not confident. You, you feel like, you know, you're you're you know in yourself you're, you're not you're not playing as well as you should or you should say things and you're not um and then it's that's the horrible side of it that's just completely opposite side it's like you know let's say you make a mistake you just want the ground to swallow you up you just want the referee to blow the whistle and say all right let's go that's it but um the locker room yeah, like after an instant like that because obviously again if the, a defender gives the ball away and, and concedes a goal you know could make a tackle to stop a goal a striker could miss a chance score again and in the locker room, you can redeem yourself as a goalkeeper in a game. If you've made a mistake that's caused you to lose the game, what was it like going into a locker room? Did you have the support, or was there a couple of times where a certain defender, you feel free to name someone, or a manager would dig you out for a mistake? Um, I mean, I always felt like I needed to apologise when I when I made a mistake because I, I, you know, with I just felt like the problem with me is, or what was my problem is, I always thought I was a bit of a perfectionist where I just. I just felt I should do everything right. And uh, that caused me a lot of problems because I always fell below the standards. So <laughs> for myself, <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, you know, no matter what everybody else would say, I'd already said it to myself and more. So um, I always felt like I should, I went in and always apologized. If I felt like I cost the team, I would always apologize to those because I know they, you know, worked hard and that to try and get the result. Um, and um yeah, I mean, on on very few occasions there was there was maybe somebody that would say something, but very rare. There was one in against where we played Man United, I think, at home, and David Beckham got one out, got got scored a goal. It was about thirty yards, thirty five yards out, something like that. You know, he got it on his right foot and just bent it, and it went away and went in top corner. And if it was an FA Cup game, I think that was, if I'm right. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but anyway, it wasn't really my. I didn't feel it was my fault. I thought like there's a long way out. Maybe you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe I could have got it, and then. And then afterwards, because uh, we talked about it, we talked about closing his right foot, making sure we closed down his right foot. And he obviously got it on his right foot. No one closing down. He's, so I had a little pop and then someone had a pop at me. It was just like a normal kind of back and forth thing in the dressing room when you're not winning, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, but for me, it wasn't, you know, that was one of the only times. I mean, it wasn't really a mistake. I mean, uh, but, and the, the other one would be the England-Italy game, like I said before, because the England-Italy game was, um, my first game, I was yeah, I was very nervous in that game. I'm not going to say I wasn't very nervous in that game, and uh, it didn't go our way, you know, as you know. And uh, a lot of people kind of blame me for the goal and this and that. And um, but afterwards, it was quite interesting because uh, you know me and Gaza were kind of like quite close at that time, and he was there, and you know, I, I found it like quite interesting that at that point. It was more of an individual, everybody looking after themselves is what I found from, from, from that experience 
rather than now I would say it's probably you know it seems like it's more of a squad everyone together kind of thing so that 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 kind that kind of um that kind of I don't know I wouldn't say it put me off but it kind of like opened my eyes a little bit to the way things are so but not really it wasn't really any criticism there from the players but I think um yeah that that was a kind of a not a great experience anyway Apart from playing for England, of course, playing for England was great. I mean, that was, yeah, I would never change that for anything. Well, we're talking about going on to England, as you brought it up. You managed to win four England caps. Uh, you played yeah. under 21 and for England B. And then after you United Six, you wasn't called up again until 2004. Do you think that was justified at the time? Do you think that Italy, that was obviously the Italy game, the Italy game was your last game, I believe, that you played as a competitive game in the squad until 2004? Yeah. What was your take on that? Well, I, I think you know, look, they, you know, David Seaman was about about a level above everybody else. Obviously, he, I think, he was injured or something, and then you know, maybe some people thought I didn't deserve to be to play in the game. I don't know. That was that's probably it. But I think anybody that was was it was playing in that game, if they'd made a mistake, then obviously I think they would have got the same treatment. It's just that I was there, and it was it happened, and that's it. So. Uh, do I think it was justified that all the stuff afterwards you're playing for England so you kind of half expect it uh, I think uh, it was pretty poor defending all round but I'm the goalkeeper and I'm supposed to keep the ball out of the net and I didn't so you have to take that you have to take that on the chin that's uh, you know that's how it is um, so you know listen, I knew I knew I had to be, I knew I had to be you know top you know, not make any mistakes, do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it happened. So then uh, I got a bit of a backlash, but, um, you know, and, and that's okay from, from, from fans and everything else is okay. But then I got a few things that were like, you know, happened at my house and stuff like that, which wasn't really acceptable, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I didn't really say much about it and just kept it to myself. And then, uh, and then just try to get on with it. I mean, we'll go on to that in a second. Because I, want to, I will talk about that. Because I think it's quite an important part of being a goalkeeper or any position in playing a professional football when you've got fans that follow you. But I mean, at the same time, there was Nigel Martin, there was Tim Flowers, Kevin Press. I don't think we've ever had a, such a, an array of talented goalkeepers. Mentally, how did you, did you tell the club about what happened at your house or was it just kept completely to yourself when things happened after that? I was just cutting it out a little bit there. But uh, yeah, you're talking about the house stuff. I, I don't know if I told the club or not, but I think I did, and then we had to have some security there uh, for a while afterwards. Uh, not 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 much fun, but uh, <laughs> I pretty much didn't go out for ages. Actually, I did go out straight away. I went. I wanted to front it, so I went out straight away. Actually, after that, the day after the game, I went out, and I uh, just wanted to get out there because I didn't want to hide away like a hermit. Um, <laughs> so so from that point of view, I just wanted to front it up. But uh, yeah, some people just you know. Yeah, take take it too far, don't they? So I mean, there's there's not much you can do about it. I mean, that's that's probably why people you know moan now that they don't interact with players is because you know the players are, <laughs> the players want to keep away yeah. from people who uh, take it too far. Unfortunately, that kills them. You know, that kills the majority of people who are who are who are uh, good supporters and all that and who appreciate the players. But there's always a minority and in, uh, in everything that they want to make it difficult for everybody else. So you know, that's. Uh, that's that's the reality of of the world we live in, unfortunately. So let's, we'll go back right at the beginning now. So you started your career as a, at Spurs as a trainee, and you work your way up with Pat Jennings, as you mentioned, and also went on to win an FA Youth Cup in the nineties. Have you always been a Spurs fan? How did you get into football? What 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 led you to be a goalkeeper? Tell us the backstory of Ian Walker. All right. Well, um, originally, well, my dad obviously my dad played in goal, played in goal for. Uh, for Watford and uh, York, uh, Reading, and then Colchester. <coughs> um, so I always used to go and watch him play when he was at Colchester. Um, so I already was following him as a following him around. And then um, he, we used to always watch matches on the TV and stuff like that as well. And he always, we used to watch. He used to tell me, you know, about Ray Clements and. And his other favourite was Dino Zoff. So I used to watch a lot of Liverpool. And so I kind of ended up being a Liverpool fan because I was watching them all the time. And plus, they were winning everything at the time. So I was a bit of a, you know, <laughs> I was following the team that was winning. But I used to watch a lot of Ray Clements when he was playing. And then, um, 
yeah, so we 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 were living in a small village near 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 Colchester, and then I went to Queens Park Rangers on Monday nights uh, to train, and I was I was thirteen, um, and then I got trials for Lillishaw, which was the national school. So I went up there, did all the trials, and eventually I got through. So there was myself and another goalkeeper called Gary French, who um, I think he was at Southampton. Um, and then end up just, yeah, just uh, going there for two years. Uh, Gary actually, he dropped out after three months. So I was the only goalkeeper. And I had uh, had uh, Mike Kelly, who was the goalkeeping coach. He also has been the goalkeeping coach at, for, for England. Um, and he was brilliant for me. You know, I just, he worked me so hard for two years. It was, it was crazy. But, um, you know, we played all the local academies every weekend. And then we'd have some international games. Uh, where obviously all the scouts came and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I watched the games and um, and then eventually I had a pick of a few clubs and my dad had already taken me to White Hart Lane to watch a game, a night game actually, and uh, during that time and I kind of just looked around the place and I was like, oh, this is yeah, this is great. Oh, this is a place so this is where I want to be if I got the opportunity that was. But um, and then luckily for me it came up. So um, at sixteen I ended up. Uh, going to Spurs and signing apprenticeship forms, getting 29, was it 29.50 a week, which is, uh, which is great. <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, so I did that. And uh, yeah, I've been very lucky really, because I say I had Mike Kelly at the beginning, obviously my dad as well, but we, we really didn't do that much kind of coaching and stuff. I mean, the, I remember the one time we did kind of, I ended up, he was smashing the ball at me, you know, and I was <laughs> ended up in tears, I think. So it didn't go down too well, but uh but yeah, and then I, like you say, I had I had Ray Clements there, and then I had uh, Pat Jennings, which was great as a, as the coaches. And after that, Hans Sagers was there, who was really good as well. You know, I had a I had a really had a lot of belief in myself and uh, and, and where I was going. So um, I was pretty single minded in that, and just seemed to go for me. You know, I, I had like I think I had seven or eight goalkeepers in front of me when I first joined the Spurs, and. Um, and by the time what, I was 19, I think I made my debut. So it was pretty. Uh, contract in 89 and was number two behind Eric Torthorpe. Um, and you went from a number two to number one in only, I think it was three years, more or less, which is quite a young age compared to how goalkeeping back then was. A lot of young goalkeepers didn't seem to come through as young as that. Um, and mm. you had a really good debut season. So uh, what was the change like from being a number two to a number one? Um, between you and the, and the and the now number two, how was that relationship? Well, I mean, in my mind, I was always the number one. So, I mean, that, that, <laughs> but that's I think that's the way you have to be. I mean, that's the way I was. I I, I thought I was just like, well, this guy's in my way, and, I, and I'm like, I I think I'm better than him. So that's that's how I had to, that's how I thought. I mean, that's that is how I thought. Somewhere on the line, that sometimes changed. That changed a little bit, but but at that point, it was um, that's how I felt all the way through. As soon as I joined Spurs, I thought I was better than all of them. And, and I know I wasn't better than all of them, but I, I, in my mind, I thought I was better than all of them. And I knew that I was going to get there. And that's the mindset I, I had. And, and that's um, that's just how it was. And then so, you know, I got through. I did all the things. You know, I went on loan to Ipswich and I went on loan to Oxford, um, which was really great for my development. And then, um, then I, you know, obviously you start in the youth team and we had a very successful youth team. Uh, we won the FA Youth Cup and then, then you get jumped up to reserves after I think I don't know maybe a year. I started playing in reserves and that was going well. And then, um, then you start you know you're, you're training with the first team. Then they start getting you in with the first team and you see okay yeah I can handle this. You know you get tested back in those days. You know you used to get tested by the players. You know they used to come you know come late on you with tackles and bash into you and all that and see if you could handle it. You know because you're the youngster and. You was know, it something that particularly was was hard on you uh, when you come up because we spoke to other pros and obviously some people come from the YTS, some people just went straight from an academy. Now it's a completely different world of how you go from a school kid to a pro contract. But back then it was a bit, as you said, leaving a bit on you and a bit more physical, a bit more, you know, testing your mentality as well. Was there anything that, mm. that prepared you for that? Or was there anything that you, any story you remember a certain player who was a bit, a bit niggly or, because obviously you're a young kid, you're coming in, and you was you was you quite arrogant at that age? Would you say if you thought you was number one, did it come off as a bit of arrogance to people, or was you still quite reserved? 
no, no, I don't think I was arrogant. It was just, uh, <clears throat> I just didn't, I, I wouldn't go out with such, I just, it was in, in the inner belief. It wasn't like me going around going, oh yeah, I'm the best and all that and telling people like some people do, but no, no, that's not, that was my way. I was, I'm quiet, pretty quiet, pretty reserved, but within my, you know, within my mind of where I wanted to go and what I was going to do and belief in myself, that was, that was more of an inward thing, but, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember Gazza rolling over me once when I got the ball and like, you know, roughing me up in the back of the goal. You know, try <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a bit rough, but okay, it's a test to see how I do. So you just jump back up and just get on with it, you know, stuff like that. And there's a lot of stuff that they, they, t they, you know, in the dress room and all that as well. There's always, of course, a lot of stuff that goes on there that they try and test you a little bit. And, um, but that's, you know, let's just see, see how, like you said, see how your character is. How's your mentality? You know, can you handle it? And um, some people can, I guess. Some most people can, but some people can't. They find it difficult. Um, but for me, yeah, it's all part of it. I've been I've been around dressing rooms and that. You know, when where I was when I was with my dad watching the games and all that. And so I was kind of used to all the thing of what goes on. Um. So um, so yeah. For, so for me, it was okay, no problem. And then the getting into the first team squad was uh you know obviously just a natural progression really and then you then you then you know okay well I'm I'm almost where I want to be and it's just a matter of keep going keep training hard keep trying to do the right things and when you do get a chance to play you know show that you can uh, you can handle it so um you know and that's what that's what it was uh so it was um Getting into the first team, of course, if you're, every time you step up, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. You know, you're a little bit nervous. You still, you still never. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's some players that are, but for me, I was still a little bit nervous. And even when I played, you know, a hundred games or whatever, I still had a little bit of nervousness before I went out. But I, I knew that was like, kind of like, okay, you're ready. If I, if I didn't have that, then I'd feel like, you know, I wasn't really ready for the game. I felt like it was something that was just natural for me. But um, yeah, going into those first games, I think. I think uh, Terry Venables played me in the game, one of the games before the cup final in 91, uh, the build-up, because he was resting a lot of the players and, and that went quite well. We, I think we lost the game to Norwich, but but it went quite well. I was quite happy with it and kind of felt like I didn't let myself down, showed that I could handle it. And then uh, and then from there, I just started getting more games and, and uh, yeah, everything was great. You know, we always have parents on the sidelines that are quite pushy. What was your dad like to be, obviously going from a goalkeeper as a, you know, sorry, say again, him being a goalkeeper and then you going into being a goalkeeper, how was it pressurised? You've got now, I was used to Peter Schmeichel and Kasper Schmeichel, how their relationship is. What was yours and your dad's relationship at that time? Uh, well, it was totally my decision what I wanted to say. I mean, originally, obviously watching him play and following all that, I, I knew early on it was something I wanted to do. Um, but I was a striker when I was like uh, eight, nine. And then I decided, right. Everyone's I'm, a striker. Eight, a goalkeeper. Nine. <laughs> eight and nine. I just decided I wanted to be a goalkeeper. And they were like, what are you talking about? So I used to score quite a lot of goals for my young side, but I knew like I wanted to be a goalkeeper. So I moved to uh, actually one of the bigger clubs in uh, Colchester. And they, they said, all right, we want you to be the goalkeeper. So, so I went to them and then, I didn't get, I never got any pressure from my dad or whatever to, he was just, you know, my mum was very supportive just, uh, and my dad was pretty like, you know, yeah, if this is what you want to do, then, uh, then that was it. He, 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 but the thing is, he, he'd always, he'd come to my games on like a Sunday and then he'd be like, oh yeah, you, you need to do, you should have done this better. You should have done that better. <laughs> so, he's, you know, he was always like, you know, I never heard anything like, oh, you did really well, you know, or, or whatever. It was always like the mistake. So, so um, you know, it was pretty tough, but um, you know, I guess he was—he wanted the best for me and all that. He was just his way of trying to trying to get me to improve, I guess. But um, yeah, they never never pressured me to do it. Everything was my decision, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, my mum, like I said, my mum was always super supportive, and and my dad was kind of like, uh, well, actually, he didn't—he never really said that much to me as far as praising but I, I found out from one of his uh, old teammates oh, oh he's very you know he's very proud of you and all that what you've done so but he, he doesn't really say it to me himself so it was like okay <laughs> I think it was the but, way he was back then maybe well, not back then I think maybe now but I think a lot of fathers 
I haven't got three daughters, I haven't got any uh, sons, but I can I can definitely understand. So I tell my kids all the time, you know, when they do things well and the support side of it. But I imagine back then, is it more kept in house, wasn't it? As you said, you found out through someone. What about when you made your England debut? You must have been super proud of, of that. You must have, did he say anything to kind of reaffirm at that moment? Was there a moment there or was it kind of only on no. the, and the, it was just the mistakes? <laughs> no, there was no, there was no, there was no, not really. I think, yeah, of course he was proud and all that. And yeah, I'm sure he's proud of, you know, that I, you know, managed to get to a level that I did and all that. But uh, uh, no, I think that was one of the games. I think that might be one of the games where I found out, you know, uh, that, oh, you know, he's super proud of you and all that. So, uh, yeah, he didn't really say anything. Even now, we don't really like, you know, the emotional side of it don't really, he doesn't really come into it, you know, and the, and the feelings, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He's quite, you know, he's brought up, he's a, he's a single kid with his, his dad was in the army. So I think uh, maybe that was the way, you know, that's just the way it was. So, yeah. um, you know, I understand that and that's how it is. But I think, you know, now I, then I knew, you know, I found from somebody, I found out somebody else that, you know how we felt about it so that was it that was good enough for me it's great so let's go back to Spurs then so and then you had quite a few managers over that time that you was there who was the best and why and who was the worst and why oh, blimey uh <laughs> um well I'd, I'd probably say Terry Venables was the best uh management, would you say because his man management was from people we spoke to his man management was one of the that's what he was known yeah. for really was that yeah okay yeah, yeah I'd say because man management and um Obviously, he gave me good, massive opportunities as well. You know, kind of <clears throat> played in my first games and things like that. And then later on, I was in uh, Euro '96, uh, so you know, he was very good to me as well. But aside from that, yeah, his man management skills are really good. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we changed almost like it felt like it was every year we changed managers. So, but um, yeah, that was a good period. And then. Uh, you know, I liked, I like, I like, you know, almost like I think I liked all the all the coaches. It's just like you know, some of them we had more success than others. Uh, some more interesting characters than others. Um, yeah, I like Jerry Francis. I thought he was good, and I, you know, I, I thought, um, yeah. And then we have the the Aussie. Aussie was, you know, Aussie was a funny character. You know, uh, we had the famous like five five forwards. <laughs> five forwards of him so I, I you know I wasn't I wasn't totally happy with that situation but <laughs> it was like you know we had attacked with all the players and then they'd come running back and they'd attack us and it would be like five three or you know we'd lose like four three or it was like that but I mean it was entertaining that's for sure but it wasn't that successful uh unfortunately it would have been great if it would have been um and I think, you know, Christian Gross, he struggled, you know, he struggled with his whole, you know, the, I think from the beginning with the old train ticket thing that he had at the press conference and, and all I, that kind of stuff. The Gross, so it's interrupt, but I really have to ask, the players would have seen that. So had he already lost the players from that point, do you reckon, from the, that press conference, was he on an upward battle from then on out, would you say? Because Raw Fox liked him. We spoke to Raw Fox yeah. and he said, tactically... He was fantastic, but it, 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 the lads didn't buy into him. Was what he was kind of he was alluding to. Would you agree with that then? Yeah, I think that's difficult for him after that because it was so out there from what we're used to seeing in press conferences and that. And and uh, then also he tried to do some different things, which I think nowadays they you know back then they we probably didn't accept it as well. Like you know getting up for this uh, what what was it used to be called pre pre-game pre training or something. It was like seven in the morning and like Jürgen Kinsman was getting up and getting Jürgen out of bed at seven on a match day and probably wasn't too happy with it. And a few things happened between him and Jür I think and Jürgen as well. So that that kind of set him back a little bit too. So I think a few things happened like that. And then of course, ultimately it's about winning matches and, and we just it just didn't really happen. So I think in the end, it, it was just... It was just different. Everybody just, you know, it was kind of different and, and the way it started and all that. And I think, you know, that's why it's looked upon as a, as a failure. But, you know, from, like I said, Raw, Raw thought he was good. And I, I didn't have a problem with him personally or anything like that. I mean, it was just different, you know. It was just different for everybody. And he had some, had some bumps in the road. He was definitely your harshest critic. Some of the quotes I've seen online from him, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, calling a player out back then was 
a bit more common, I would say, than it is now. You can't do it now because everyone's completely in a bubble. But back then, one of the things was, you know, he called you lazy and regretted playing you. Did you did you pull him up on this? Because these, these are public comments. Well, yeah, obviously, it, that, that's personal. But, I mean, it doesn't mean that I, I, I agreed with what he said. But, well, um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just, yeah, who knows why, why he wanted to single me out. But... Yeah, of course, there was games where I didn't play that well and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, if you felt that way, you probably should have dropped me then. That's all I have to think about it. If he's going to keep picking me down, <laughs> then it's a bit weird that he would say something like that. But uh, no, I mean, for me, it's like, yeah, it's like you just got to get on with it. Whether, whether you know, sometimes people say things and, and they're right. Sometimes they say things and you think they're wrong. And, and um so uh, it's not for me it's like no big personal i didn't take it personally it's just like you know you, you're entitled to what you want to say and it's fine um then yeah no it's not there's no issue between myself and him because i actually yeah <laughs> actually somebody asked me if i could try and get him a job in china so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know people under pressure and, and all that kind of stuff and you know i'm sure you know when he, he, he was under huge pressure there, no doubt about it. Uh, and yeah, you know, sometimes say things, sometimes you, you know, maybe he regrets saying it now, who knows, but I haven't really spoken to him about it. And and that's fine. Like I said, if his opinion is his opinion and uh, and that was it. At Spurs, obviously, had a lot of players that would be characters, which certainly we don't have in football much anymore. Well, they're not really allowed to be seen as characters anymore. At your time at Spurs, what were the three craziest players? I mean, yeah, I mean... Uh... I know loads, loads of people have got Gaza stories, so that's kind of, you know... I mean, I, I stayed with him for a year in Cromwell Road, so in, in a hotel in Cromwell Road. I think it was a Swallow. It was a Swallow, anyway. I, I moved, made it to change name. But, um, yeah, it's funny, because I, I was living in... Uh, I was living in Chesham in a ground-floor apartment, and then I was getting some... I was getting a bit of hassle there as well, so I ended up trying to sell it, and then he was... He came back... Uh, he joined Spurs... And then he was staying in London. And then I, uh, he said to me one day, oh, what, you, you know, because I think Gaza, you know, he doesn't like to be alone. So he said, oh, do you want to come? You can come and stay with me in a hotel in, in London. And I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So he ended up, <laughs> he ended up getting me a room in, uh, in, uh, in uh, the Cromwell Road there and then the hotel. And he used to drive me in and out to training every day. And we used to just hang out. And he, this was after the World Cup. So he was like, everybody was Gaza crazy, you know. So he ended up taking me to like private events here, private events there, you know, taking me, dragging me around. And I was, of course, I was loving it as a young, <laughs> young, young kid, like, you know, absolutely loving it. But everywhere we go, it'd be, you know, we'd, we'd go somewhere, anywhere, like you could go to the hard rock and, and eat or you do something. And next thing you know, there's a big, there's a bottle of champagne on the, on the table, you know, and pe people are just buying him drinks left, right and center. It's absolutely, it was absolutely mad. So, uh, so yeah, I mean that, that was that was an amazing experience after 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 the World Cup, and he, he you know people get all these mad you know Gaza's mad and Gaza's just that yeah sure he's a little bit out there he does some wacky stuff but he's got a heart of gold you know he's he'd do anything for anybody and uh, you know there, there's all stories about you know the ostrich he left let out of the training ground and and you know all the stuff he he, he just was constantly yeah I mean he, you know you come into training when we were at, was it wasn't Spurs Lodge the one before that? Yeah, it might be Spurs Lodge. And um, you know, he'd, he'd be there'd be a bench outside, and he'd be sitting on the bench, you know, with no clothes on, just having a cup of tea. You know, not everybody would be walking by, and uh, you know, all, all the ladies who work in the offices and all that, and he'd just be like, he'd just be sitting on the thing like this with a cup of tea, and <laughs> nothing on. What's <laughs> going He'd always be the pranks to like, you know, boys. Eric always had a big a reaction to everything. So, like, you know, they'd they'd um they'd cut the ends off his socks. You know, the usual stuff, cut the ends off his socks. They'd put like DP, he'd put DP in his underpants, you know, and uh and one day he uh he pooped in his he pooped in his glove. And uh yeah, so and and Eric, you know, he just was chasing them around the as him and Vinnie Vinny Samways. They were like chased. Eric was like, yeah, you because know, Eric was a man mounted, you know. He was like, really, and he was chasing them all around the training ground, trying trying to catch them. 
so um yeah he but it was everyday thing it wasn't like you know it was everyday thing uh they'd have crazy he'd have crazy bets with steve sedgley you know about if he would <laughs> if he would if he would eat the blue blue thing in the urinal Oh, I've heard. Oh, yeah, I've heard some rumors. About it. Tell that. Do you know that story? Tell that story. Well, I've heard some rumors. I, I, I might get it wrong. But I, I think. I think. Well, so basically, it's, you know, I'm not sure the whole story. But Gaza, Gaza bet Steve Sedgley he wouldn't. He wouldn't eat the little blue, you know, whatever in the, in the urinal. So, so Sedge, not being Sedge, said yeah. So he, I think it's like a thousand pounds back then, or something like that. So I bet you a thousand pounds you won't do it. Yeah, so I bet, bet, bet you won't do it. And so yeah, I will. So anyway, he did it. And then and then Gaza wrote him a check for a thousand thousand pounds and said at that as well. So, <laughs> 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 so he just it was like, yeah, it's like that. And and uh, yeah, there's so many about of him, like even with the England squad, you know, so, in Euro '96, like so it's the first time really I've got into a major, no, I've got into a major tournament and I'm I'm one room and Gaz is next door. So, you know, he's ringing me up at like all hours saying, oh, do you, you know, do you fancy a bottle of wine? And I was like, no, I can't. I mean, you know, I mean, the first time I'm in the squad, I can't do, I can't do that and all that. So he's, yeah, he's, he's just how he was. I mean, I, you know, there's so many stories about him. Um, and uh, yeah, just a fun, just funny. There's one actually with, uh, I think it was after Scotland game. And is at Burnham Beaches and like, at the end of the lawn, there's like a, there was a big, there's all the TV, there's the TV marquee. So all, whenever the players or vendors, uh, they wanted a live interview or whatever, they had to, you had to go up the end, all the way up the end and, and uh, do the interview and, and you, you, your back would be to the, to the, to the hotel. But you could see all the lights at the end. So anyway, after one of the games, it was, Venner's like said, right, but guys, you can have a drink because uh, you have a job to have a drink in the bar. You know, we deserve it. La, la, la. So, all the players are down there everything, watching TV, and it's on the TV. It says, uh, "Oh, and uh, after the break, a live interview with Terry Vanderbos." So, so all of a sudden they go right. Uh, like someone said, "Like, oh, Gazza, I bet you don't bet you don't run up there and get in behind Venders when he's doing the interview and all that." So yeah, everyone's had a few drinks. So Gazza goes, "Yeah, of course I will." So anyway, comes off the break, and uh, we're all watching the TV, and Gazza disappears. So anyway, we're watching the TV, and all of a sudden you can just see this this figure zigzagging up the lawn, and it goes like this. And then as it comes into focus, well, it's slightly in focus, can't see it, but you just see a body with a pair of boxer shorts over his head. <laughs> and that's it. And he runs out, runs up behind, and runs off screen. And um, we're all we're all cracking up in the in the bar. We're all cracking up, but. I've never seen any footage of it anywhere. I don't have seen it on YouTube. I've told loads of people about it, and they 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 can't find anything about it. What about Klingsman then? What was he like? Because he was one of the first big foreign names to come over from abroad. What was he like in the dressing room? And what was in terms of obviously the English culture and German culture are very different, maybe professionalism wise. How did he take to pranks and stuff stories and things like that? How was how was your time with him? Uh, well, we were. I think we were away. Uh, pre-season, I think, when he signed, and then he flew in. And of course, we, we were allowed out after after training or whatever. So we were all in a bar, and uh, and he turned up, up in the bar and then just put his credit card behind behind the bar straight away. So I mean, it, straight away, everybody loves him, you know. <laughs> and, he's uh, hearts. <laughs> oh, he's like he's read it so well. So <laughs> it's like oh, he's played that really well. So everybody loved him, and he was just a, he was a great guy. Yeah, I mean, I mean he. You know, he drove his little beetle and all that, and everybody knew he, you know, he had like three Porsches in his home and wherever it was. But, uh, but he, he was a, he was just such, he was just such a nice guy, you know, just a really nice guy, easy to get along with, you know, worked hard as you, you know, just top class striker. You can see that straight away. Um, yeah, just, uh, just an easygoing guy. And, uh, it was a brilliant time at the club because obviously to have someone like that sign for you and then just see him in training and then what he did in the games and all that was uh was brilliant to see so it's a great experience for me as well as like well playing with a real you know top top class striker um but he was a he was a great person as well um 
and he definitely lifted the club when he came twice actually when he was he came twice so uh so yeah um yeah just good things about him he, it, I don't, i'm not sure anyone had the uh had had the balls to like you know cut his socks off and all that though <laughs> i don't think anybody i don't think anybody did that not that i know of anyway i think he was left alone who was the apart from gaza then who was the best in the locker room outside of gaza oh dear uh, ben Thatcher was pretty good. I liked his band. It was funny. He's a bit out there as well. He was a bit. It was a bit too much for me sometimes, but he, he was funny. Uh, he, he made me laugh because he used to. Well, obviously he was tough going in, in matches and all that. You know, he'd fly into tackles and sometimes he'd be a bit, a little bit over the edge. But um, it was, it was a good, good guy, uh, Thatcher, and he, he loved taking Janola down, a, down a peg or two. Which is quite funny to see. Um, oh, I forgot Ginola yeah, was there. Of course, Ginola. Hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Ginola was, you know, he, he, of course, he's a good-looking guy and all that, and he used to like spend like thirty minutes in the in front of the mirror after you know after training and showering and all that, you know. And so people used to take Mickey out of him a little bit, but but um, yeah, Fats tried to take him down peg or two every now and again. It was funny. Um, can't exactly tell you exactly what he did, but he's saying in the training ground. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so yeah, Fats is a good guy, but um, he liked to he liked the prank and he liked uh, he liked doing uh, all that kind of stuff as well. He, of course, he was with, with at Wimbledon as well, so I mean, he he got all that stuff from there. So yeah, he was a bit lively. Um, yeah, I'd say him mainly. Um, but, but at the beginning, I mean, right at the beginning, there was, you know, like I said, there was Steve Sedgley and Vinnie Samways and Paul Stewart and, uh, oh God, a lot of the guys who were kind of into the band and stuff, Paul Walsh. Uh, so there was a lot of that then. Obviously, it started to tone down a bit. And obviously today, there's not, I guess there's not that much at all. So let's talk about the one of your most successful is your League Cup final win in um, 1999. How, yeah. how was that? The build-up to that, obviously, been at Wembley. Um, it's the first major silverware in a while for Spurs at the time how did yeah tell us about that experience and what was the did you because a lot of people we've spoken to have won a cup or a league no one celebrated because everyone's had a game after or a game after something happened so no one actually got the time to have a real celebration um did you get a chance after yeah. the game also to celebrate and how was the whole experience from start to finish um well, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge, especially for Spurs. You know, we haven't we didn't win anything since I think it was like seven or eight years before that. So we managed to get there, and then it was, um, yeah, the expectation. Obviously, going into a cup final, you don't want to lose. And um, but we'd been on a we'd been on a good run because I think George George was a manager, George Ram was a manager, and then he'd come in and he'd really, although there was a lot of you know a lot of the fans didn't agree with the appointment. He'd really come in and and, and sorted out the whole defensive structure of the team. So we were on a really good run. And it was one of those times when we had, I think we had like eight clean sheets in 12 or 13 games, something like eight clean sheets in 12, something like that. We were going really well. I think we were already in the semi-final of the FA Cup as well at that point. So everyone was uh everyone was pretty confident and we were playing well. We had a lot of one nil, you know, one nil wins and stuff, but we were just a lot more solid, which which we haven't been for years, and um, just came at the right time. And uh, yeah, the occasion was obviously great. You know, all the fans there and everything, and being at Wembley and the whole the whole bit. It's a massive build up, and, and then you know, once the game kicks off, you're you're into it. You know, you're concentrating, and you're just it's just like you know, another pretty much really is another game because you're just you're just focused on your job, and. Um, and of course, we went down to ten men, uh, and um, and then we just we just nicked it in the last last minute. So it was just an incredible way to win. Uh, after thinking, you know, down to ten men, or oh, we just got to try and hang on here. Um, we actually did all right, and then you know broke away and, and scored. And then once we scored, like, we knew it was over. And it like, well, probably had like a minute left, so you know you knew it was over, and you could just try, kind of like sort of it enjoy it even though that you know, there was only a minute left you, you pretty much knew we were going to win it so yeah just incredible and incredible to know that you know you can to win something with spurs haven't been there so long and you know ups and downs and everything else that goes on and uh, to finally win something was uh 
was a great it was great for everybody uh everyone who's been there you know because a lot of guys there have been there a long time as well so it was great for them and and uh yeah kind of a sense obviously a sense of achievement after so long that it was all worth it you know yeah <laughs> what was the, um in terms of after that obviously soon after, not soon after fairly soon you you, you was moved on um, did you ever think was there any transfers talk in between leaving to Leicester, go to Leicester in at Spurs? Was you ever linked to be moved anywhere else, or any bids come in that you knew about that it was turned down? Uh, no, early early on in my career, I was linked with Lazio, but I don't know what that was. And then, and then I think there was one in Newcastle. I never heard anything. I didn't get anything from the club or or from my agent at the time. So I think I don't know what it was. I don't know who put it in there or why it wasn't me. So I don't know. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know sometimes, sometimes the agents put stuff in, but my agent didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay. Because Sven Goran Eriksson was at Lazio at the time. Um, but it was just like a rumour. So I don't know, as far as I'm aware, no. And then when, when it came to the, to leaving, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I basically wanted to play at that point because I was, I think I was 29 when I moved. Um, and I just wanted to play because obviously the club had the club had brought in Neil Sullivan and then you know he played the year before and he did well and um, and I was like I don't want to sit on the bench again for another year you know so I just spoke to Glenn Hoddle and I said look you know this and that and it was all fine no problem spoke it was all very good he understood and and it, and, then, and then we just then Leicester came up so um, I thought yeah it's a good move they're they're a solid team you know they got a good good squad and I'll, I'll have a chance to play. I knew, I knew before that Tim Flowers had a problem with his hip. So, um, yeah, if he, if Tim was fit, it probably would have been another story, but obviously he had a problem and, uh, that gave me an opportunity to play. So I didn't want my career to, to have, you know, five years sitting on the bench. So I just uh, thought it was the best thing to do at the time. How does the move, how does the move work then, the intricacy of it in terms of, obviously we watch deadline day now and it's such a spectacle, Back, back then, was it literally a case of the, the chairman rung and he came in and said, well, Leicester have come in for you? And did you, have, you said you had an agent at the time. Did an agent scout, does he kind of tout you around to other clubs? Or was it more like you saying, well, I, I, I want to stay in this division or I want to stay in this area? How, how does it all go around from, from a transfer? I just said to my agent, you know, try and find me somewhere. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <Not fussy>. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I, I just said, try and find me somewhere and let me know what happens. And uh, he, I guess he did what he should do, which is, uh, you know, I guess he offered me around a few places and what have you. And uh, he, he came back to me and said, Leicester want you to go there. They're willing to pay, you know, a little some money. And uh, what do you think? I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. And then within, uh, I guess within a week or so, I'd, I'd signed. So, and, and went out. I was on holiday, I think, at the time, actually. And then I went out and met them in uh, their pre-season so, uh, so yeah, it was like that. I mean, there was no real, I must go there or I must go this part of the country. Or I must stay in the Premier League or whatever. Of course, I wanted to, but if it didn't happen, I would have gone to the championship. I mean, that's, you know, I just wanted to play. So that was it. Um, okay. But it was a good move. You know, like I said, Leicester was a good, really, really good club and uh, they had a good squad and everything else. And it was a chance to play in the Premier League. So it, it worked out well. Was there any locker room, obviously because you've been in the same locker room for so many years, what was it like to move to a different locker room, a new experience, a new training ground, new everything's new. You're 29 at this stage, you're a bit more mature. Was there any yeah. initiations or anything or, you know, because how did um, Flout, was it Tim, no, who was there at the time, goalkeeper, sorry, did you say? Um, yeah, Tim Flowers. Tim Flowers. How did he, how was his relationship with you coming in, knowing that you're coming in to replace him? How was that? Um, well, let me say this: when I when uh, when I met up with them for pre-season training, we were, I think we were away in Spain or somewhere. Uh, so we did our first training session, and then after, straight afterwards, still in a kit, Tim said to me, "I'll oh, come up, come up to my room afterwards. You know, just drop your boots off and come in." After I was like, "Yeah, okay, no worries. You know, maybe you want to have a chat or whatever, or just you know, welcome me in or whatever." So, what? Well, uh, I walked into to his room and there was like eight other players there and on the balcony they had two big crates full of beer on ice. <laughs> I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Leicester. <laughs> so so uh so um 
so that was my intro pretty much to the guys and everybody else and literally still in our training kit uh after my first training session at Leicester so um pretty you know got to know everybody pretty well straight away and uh and I uh, that story was and, going somewhere else when you said you walked in there there was a balcony there was eight other lads I thought you, it was a very different story was going to come out of your mouth just then <laughs> <laughs> no 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 but uh I actually knew a few of the guys from before like, like Frank Sinclair I knew him from before because he he came to the little short trials and stuff as well so I knew him when he was like from from when he was like 14 uh so um, there's a few other guys that actually travelled up from London as well. Eventually, we 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 used to get in one car and then travel up and down. Um, so yeah, I mean, all the guys there were very friendly, and and uh, you know, it was uh, it was like I said, it was really good, really good club to be at. Um, some talented players. Unfortunately, the first year it didn't quite go as planned, but um, yeah, another adventure really. Robbie Savage is probably the one who likes to talk the most about himself, <laughs> how good he is and all this kind of stuff, how many Ferraris he's got and all this, all that kind of gear. But actually, you know, the the, uh, the impression you get when you're not, you know, you don't really know him that much and stuff is that somebody who's this arrogant guy who's shouting about everything. But actually, he's he's pretty quiet. I mean, he's pretty quiet in in, in the situations where, where I saw him out and about. He was pretty quiet and... In the dressing room, of course, he'd give you a little bit of banter about his, uh, you know, yellow Lamborghini or whatever it is. But you know, he, he, he was it was pretty harmless stuff, and you get to know him, and he's like, yeah, he's he's, he's quite a nice guy, and actually, um, all that stuff he says is pretty much, uh, you know, just in, just a bit of fun, really. So, um, so that surprised me because I thought, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to get on with this guy, but actually, he's a really nice fella. But um, yeah, I mean, the only real bad things, you know, the things that happened in Leicester were obviously the thing that happened in Spain with all the guys and they got thrown in prison, which was uh, which was a horrible situation for everybody. Um, obviously a set up. It was set up obviously from, I don't know which paper it was, but it was set up and uh, everybody got in a bit of a panic there. And of course, the guys and their families went through a lot, which wasn't very nice. Um, but we, you know, it was just uh, for us. It was just like we were just on a normal, having a night out, having a drink, and all that. And uh, we we're in a casino, and next thing we we went back, and everyone's laughing and joking, and and then get, went to sleep. And the next thing you get woken up and saying, "Oh, everybody put their passports in," and and the police point your passports and all that. We're like, "What's going on?" And uh, yeah, it was just uh, it's just a just a ridiculous uh, situation. So. So aside from what the good things that happened, you know, that was probably the worst, you know, for the guys and all that because you know nothing, nothing happened. It was a big setup, and which has been proven now. And uh, yeah, that was pretty horrible. And uh, the, uh, I think, <laughs> I, I think Lillian Nellis got got. I don't. Think, I'm not sure Lillian Nellis actually went out, but uh, Lillian, Lillian had long hair and I had long hair, so I think they looked at passports. They pulled him out and left me alone. <laughs> So I'm on the bus getting out of there and he's like stuck in the prison. And I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, that was terrible. But um, yeah, that's the, only, that's, that's the only thing really. I mean, other than usual banter. Um, it was good because actually, like I said, the four guys used to, four of our guys, we used to drive up from London. We used to meet at the services. One of us would, would drive and we'd, we'd hammer it up there in the morning and stop forever, have a sausage and egg McMuffin before we went training. <laughs> every day we were looking forward to that so that that, that wasn't particularly uh great great for uh the diet but um but yeah so that that's about it there's nothing too much i mean that was the main thing that happened in uh in leicester that you work with or, or played with who was just like a genuinely stand-up guy who would you know you, you could rely on to give uh, oh. need a favor or someone to talk to or anything it's just been really, clingsman um car behind the bar which was very generous Who's, who's the yeah, nicest person you work with? Uh, Gary Mabbott. Okay. I'd say Gary Mabbott, early days. Um, just a really nice guy. Had his, you know, obviously has his own problems and all that that he played through. And But just a genuine, nice nice guy who take time to speak every time. If you had a problem, yeah, you could speak to him and... You know, go out of his way to help you and help others. So I'd, I'd say him mainly. Yeah, um, yeah he's a, he's a, 
an all-round good egg, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last so, question. I would say. A goalkeeper's always known for being or having to be a bit out there, a bit crazy, a bit, you know, loose cannons almost. But you've never come across as like that. Even speaking to you today, you're quite calm, quite relaxed, quite chilled. And you always come across like that in interviews in the past and just your characteristics. Was you different to other goalkeepers, do you think, in that respect? Because everyone says you have to be mad to be a goalkeeper. Would you say that was true? Um, I'm sure, you know, I have my own weirdness and all that, I'm sure. But, uh... But uh, yeah, I think goalkeepers are a little bit different. Yeah, they are a little bit mad um, in their own ways. Uh, I think if you want to throw throw your head in, throw your head in places where other people wouldn't, it's just you know you have to be a little bit different. But um, no, they all they all have their own little quirks. I think you know. I mean, talk about people who like you look at David James. He has his different quirks as well. You know, look at him and. I think David Seaman was quite is quite was quite relaxed as well. I mean, he wasn't especially like crazy. I don't think. I think it was pretty laid back and liked fishing and played a bit of golf and you know liked it, liked a glass of wine now and again. And I think that was about as bad, as mad as it got. But you know, you never know. But you never know behind closed doors. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's where he came across to me. Um, but I think I just think in general you got to be a little bit different. You know, if if you want a playing goal you know, to do the things you have to do. And, and the, that position, like we said at the beginning, is um, is one of uh, you can be the hero or you can you can do one, be have one mistake and then you're the, you're the villain of the whole thing. So you have to be a little bit different to be able to handle that. Um, so, yeah, I guess, guess we're all a little bit weird in our own way. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Ian. I really appreciate that. Um, we're going to end now just with a quick fire round. So we just ask you a few questions and just the first thing that comes to your mind, just got to, got to answer it. They're not too offensive. Um, so I'll start you off with <laughs> fish and chips or pie and chips. What was it? Fish or chip, fish and chips or pie and chips. Oh God, that's difficult already. Fish, <laughs> fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> Strangest thing you've ever eaten. Oh dear. Uh, uh, probably, uh, help, snake, uh, yeah, snake. off the top of my head. Snake, fair snake. enough. Summer or winter? Oh, summer. Lampard or Gerard? Oh, stop it. Oh, man, that's, that's not fair either. Yeah. Uh, oof, blimey. Oh no, that's killing me already. That is all right, Gerard. Play for <laughs> Liverpool only because he played for Liverpool. There you go. <laughs> Have you ever dined and dashed? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Joshua or Fury? Oh Fury. Now the the big question uh, is gel or wax on the head. What did you go with? Gel. <laughs> and, gel. Yeah, well, gel. Ian Walker or Mark Bosnich? Who is the better goalkeeper? Oh my God, that's not right. I don't. Well, you know, I don't like. You know, I don't think much of that myself. So Mark Bosnich, I'd say. <laughs> Ian Walker, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> really appreciate giving up our time. Um, thank you so much. And listen, good luck with everything going forward. And I hope it's more success for you out in in China and everything stays healthy. And uh, good luck with your knee operation. All right, lovely. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care. Cheers. Podcast Network.